Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and this is episode number 77 of the Mandolins of Beer podcast, brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe. Boy, you all are in for a treat this week, uh, and next week as well, uh, the guest Bobby Osborne. Holy cow. I mean, just when you listen to this episode, and it just, I mean, he's such a legend, and the the people that he played with are all legends, and, and the way he got his mandolin is... Or the I should say the way, but the the story about picking it up from the post office is it it's so great. Um, I want to say a special thanks to Scott Napier for helping put this together. Um, Scott obviously works with him there, and we stayed in touch during this, and and he helped me facilitate this interview. And um and actually Bobby asked if it would be cool if he actually kind of was on the line as well, because um, I don't believe he's ever done a podcast before. So it was pretty great, man. So. Uh, you're in for a real treat. So let's get down to the business first here, though. Peghead Nation. Peghead Nation streaming video courses in mandolin, guitar, banjo, fiddle, dobro, ukulele, and bass. You'll learn bluegrass, old time, and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in Roots Music. PegheadNation.com features a great lineup of mandolin instructors with courses, including Beginning Mandolin and Intermediate Bluegrass Mandolin with Sharon Gilchrist. She's also got the uh, seminar she's been doing. Um, you should check that out as well. Bluegrass Mandolin Jam Favorites, The Advancing Mandolinist with Joe K. Walsh, Monroe Style Mandolin with Mike Compton, Melodic Mandolin Tunes with John Reichman, Chord Melody Mandolin with Aaron Weinstein, Irish Mandolin with Marla Fibish, and Theory for Mandolin and Fiddle with Chad Manning. And join any of the Peghead Nation's video courses now and get your first month for free. Just go to PegheadNation.com, use the promo code MANDOLINBEER at checkout. That's all one word. Uh, we also got Northfield Mandolins. Let's build more than a mandolin together. Check out their website at northfieldmandolins.com. Download their app at mandosummit.app for lots of special performance recordings, demonstrations, and special workshops. And be sure to follow them on Instagram for some sweet mandolin pictures. Uh, also, Ear Trumpet Labs. They hand-build microphones in Portland, Oregon. Their mics are beautifully designed to have great feedback rejection for live use in the most natural tone you'll find for acoustic instruments. Check them out at eartrumpetlabs.com today. I love mine. And Pava Mandolins, dedicated to building for the impassioned player. Built right there in Texas. Huge thank you to all my sponsors who make these episodes possible each week, so be sure to check all of them out. And let's get into the episode. Oh, real quick, thank you to the new patrons, too, who have signed up. I appreciate it. I got a few more kickoffs to get up there. Again, if you want to support the podcast, you can do it for as little as $4 a month right there at my Patreon page. Uh, and you can also follow me on Instagram and Facebook. And I have some merch at mandolinsandbeer.com. All right, let's buckle up and get into it with Bobby Osborne. Cheers, everybody. I am so proud to welcome just the absolute legend, Bobby Osborne, to the to the podcast. So, Bobby, thank you so much for doing this today. Well, it's my pleasure. It certainly is. And uh, uh, thank uh, Scott for letting me know that uh, that you were interested to have me. And, and uh, Scott's been a friend of mine for a long, long time. And uh, and uh, he's, he's just uh, number one in my books. And so I... I, I Appreciate him letting me know that, uh, uh, that about the show and everything. Oh, like yeah, that, well, I, I appreciate Scott helping this out, and we've also I've also got Scott on the line here, Scott Napier. Scott, how you doing, sir? Hey guys, I'm great. Uh, honored to be back as a recent guest of uh, Mandolin's Beer, and uh, just a big fan. And 
uh, as Bobby mentioned, the feelings mutual. I'm honored and tickled pink to not only to be a small part of this, but to get to hear Bobby on the podcast. I know oh. a lot of people are really excited about it. Yeah, me, me being one of them. And again, I can, there's very few things that I can remember it, as far as, you know, like a, a vivid memory. And I remember the first time I heard Ruby. I was driving over the bridge in my hometown and somebody had made me a mixed CD of a bunch of bluegrass stuff because I was just getting into bluegrass. And that song starts and I thought I was going to fall off the bridge. <laughs> I was just like, who is this? <laughs> I'm glad you hung on. So. <laughs> me too. That like When I think of bluegrass songs and that song is one of the, the forefront of my brain. So I've been a fan for uh, for right around the minute I picked up a mandolin. So this is a huge honor for me. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. And it's, it's, uh, I've been going, um, I've been going since I was about, I started trying to learn how to play around, around 13 years old. And, and so I had to take, uh, when I was about seven, see, uh, I like 12 days being 20 and I, and I was called to, to, uh, the military and I, I had to uh, serve my country, and that was a big priority back in them days, and still is. That matter, yeah, you know, yeah. Thank you for so, that. Uh, I, I I had it in my mind always, all through my military services, I always had it in my mind that I'd, I'd go back to singing, playing again. And so when I got out, uh, I, I got released from the Marine Corps, what I was in. So I come back to what I wanted to do and I um I ain't never stopped yet <laughs> and you keep busy you, you've been putting out releases you, uh, you guys just put out the tremolo Tuesdays it's 103 videos that are now up on YouTube yeah tell what are those I'm tickled pink about that um that was a uh, just a casual thing that started at the Kentucky School of Bluegrass and Traditional Music where Bobby's a, and myself are faculty members and we would just take an hour slot and um, put together a tune in three-part harmony um, with no intentions of putting it on social media. Um, and then one evening, Bobby just looked at me and said, you know, that that's pretty good. Let's put that up on the Internet. And that's what started it. <laughs> that's so great. <laughs> well, I don't know. I've always been uh, the type of person, if you think it's pretty good, well, try it anyway. Put it on the Internet and try it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Bobby's a master at harmony playing. Yeah, I definitely want to talk a little bit about some of that. That's some of my favorite stuff. I find it so amazing, and it's it's obviously a talent to be able to play mandolin well, but then to be able to figure out harmonies, that stuff just blows my mind, and you are you, you are just one of the best at it. Well, I, I don't know. Uh, 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 Harmony has just been uh, 
been a part of my life ever since I got uh, got started singing. You know, of course I um, I was just a, a fan of Ernest Tubb. I tried to sing like him, and when I got about uh, fifteen, about fifteen years old, I, uh, it, it, my voice went it went to a higher pitch, and so <laughs> so I didn't. I don't know I, when it first happened. Uh, I thought I'd lost my voice, man. I couldn't sing low no more, you know. Oh, and, yeah. And uh, so his songs never did sing. Never did, they never did uh, seem like it was sounded right until you put them down in the keys where he sang them, you know. And, of course, good Lord, his, my voice went so much higher than his. Why, it, it, I, I forgot where he, how far down he was, you know. But uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I always love his songs, and and. Uh, I got to meet him, and he was just a wonderful person to me. I've I've known him. He's just been one of my one of my all time favorites down through the years. Even though I got into playing bluegrass, why Ernest Tubb was still one of my favorites, and still it's just I, I still sing his songs right now. I, I, I've got to sing them about eight notes higher than he did, but I, I'm still <laughs> singing them yet. <laughs> Uh, okay, Bobby, could you tell uh, Daniel the story about when you first heard Bluegrass on the radio and then wound up seeing the original Bluegrass band in Dayton play? I'd always listen to Grand Ole Opry. I, when I, uh, of course, my 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 dad, you know, that was from where I came from, and in uh, Kentucky, you know, uh, one thing about that place there, when you got there, you had to come back because there wasn't nowhere else to go, you know. But uh, and we we uh, we listened to Grand Ole Opry all the time, and uh, that was just a, a big big part of everybody up and down the creek. That was. Uh, Everybody had a radio, and a lot of times if somebody didn't have a radio to hear the Grand Ole Opry on Saturday night, why they go to somebody else's house and just, just and listen to the Grand Ole Opry that way. But in in uh, doing that, why I got acquainted, uh, familiar with the Grand Ole Opry, and a lot of people uh, that that entertained on the, on the Opry at that time, and, uh, and Ernest Tubb was one of them, and so I it just it, it always just. Uh, I always loved what he did, and uh, and uh, but it, my voice it just kind of when I got about uh, fourteen or something like that, fifteen years old, my voice went high, and I but I I still on Saturday night while there was nothing else to do except listen to the Grand Ole Opry, and so uh, this one particular night we was uh, I was trying to. Right here, I, well, and just uh, before that, my voice when it did change, it just it did it all of a sudden. I mean, one day I was singing, <laughs> singing low, and the next day I couldn't sing. It just went up high, and I didn't, I couldn't figure out what happened to it, you know. And so, so I just started singing in that high pitch, and it never, it never went away. And that's, uh, I'm still doing it today. <laughs> so, but anyway. Uh, and listen to the Grand Ole Opry while uh, trying to hear Ernest Tubb. Why 
Of course, about we had, the old radio we had sitting there, it was uh, staticky all the time. And, and then uh, I didn't hear, um, I, I couldn't hear either one of them, Ernest Tubb. I just couldn't even hear him at all. But um, when, I, when I did get a chance to, it did come through, I heard another sound through there that didn't, that it didn't belong there where he was singing, you know. And I asked my dad, I said, what is that right there? And my dad, he said, that's a banjo. And I said, what's that? He said, <laughs> he said it's an instrument that's got strings on it. I said, well, I never heard of it. So that was all it was to that, you know. But I, I love the sound of it. I just just a little little bit of, of, uh, of a banjo coming in on a static radio. And you're trying to hear her and stuff anyway. And I didn't have no idea what what a, a banjo sounded like. But. Anyway, um, I kept listening. Every Saturday night, I listened to it, and finally, I heard that sound again. And this time, uh, there was more to it than what I heard the first time, you know. And so, I, I, uh, I just I couldn't I couldn't figure out what what that was. And I asked my dad again. I said, "What is it? What is that there?" And he said, "That's a banjo." Kept, and I I thought, "Boy, that's." That's what I want. I, I want to do that right there. That's what I want to do. <laughs> it, it sounded like, and it just sounded like one guy doing about three or four parts at one time. <laughs> sure. And and I, and I tried that, and it don't work. You know, you only got two hands. So anyway, I, I kept on listening to the opera, and finally one Saturday night it came in real clear, and I found out who that was was Earl Scruggs playing Cumberland Gap with Bill Monroe and his bluegrass boys. So I listened to Bill singing. His singing was sky high. So mine just fit what his what he was singing. So I learned all his songs and started singing his songs. And and uh, I never I never did I, I just stayed where it was at. So I was happy with that there. So I just kept on singing. And it's that's been many many years ago. So I it's I don't know if my voice is just still as good or if it's. It, ain't, it don't squeak like it did back then, though, I don't think. You actually got to see the band with Flat and Scruggs and Monroe live in Ohio? Oh, yeah, yeah. But, you know, back then there was nothing much to do. Back, my dad was a school teacher, and he, he found better, more work in Dayton, Ohio, so he moved the family and went there. And um, and I was listening to the opera one night, and he mentioned he was going to be in Dayton, Ohio. That's where my dad had moved to, you know, and, he says, going to be in Dayton, Ohio tomorrow. And I told my dad, and I wasn't even driving. I was trying to learn how to drive, but I didn't even, didn't even know how to drive at that time. So <laughs> I told my dad, I said, you got to take me down there. We lived about 20 miles from Dayton at that time. And and so we said about seven seven rows back. And then wow. there's an auditorium. It was a good size. Well, there's 3,500 people. It was what the size of the auditorium was there in Dayton. So... Uh, when he come and Bill Monroe came there and the Bluegrass Boys came there right by themselves. I mean, there's no, nobody else on the show. But, um, and Earl, when when it come his time to play, while he stepped up to the mic and he showed me about about a minute and a half how one guy could do uh, <laughs> put all them notes in Cumberland Gap. So. <laughs> oh my gosh, that was, that's, that would be amazing. I mean, Right there to see, you know, 
the the original famed lineup like that. Wow, that's amazing. Well, it, it's just uh, it's just a waste. I don't know. I, I look back at time at things that happened back then, and that's just uh, the only thing I can get out that it was supposed to, it was just supposed to be that way. I guess uh, it's about the only only no only way I know how to explain it. <laughs> But uh, anyway, it's uh, from then on I followed Bill Monroe. And I never forgot, never forgot Ernest Stubb, you know, because I, I always liked him, and I still sing his songs now. And uh, got to when we come to the opera, I got to meet the guy, and uh, and uh, he found out he was just everything that I hoped that he would be when when I did meet him. You know, just a nice guy. Oh, that's that's always a bonus. <laughs> Uh, well, a lot of people, you know, when they get up in the world a little bit, they change their uh, uh, attitude uh, or their uh, they, they, they change a little bit. And I guess I've changed over the years, but I try to keep mine uh, keep it down where it's where it started with it. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but it, it, I don't know. I just got acquainted with bluegrass music and. It suited me. It suited my my voice, and and I never and I still play the guitar. I never I never messed with a mandolin at all. It never had never seen one until I saw Bill playing one, and then uh, on, when I saw him first time I ever seen him, I still didn't know a mandolin. Uh, I just just looked like a little small guitar to me, you know. But uh, I hung in there with a with a guitar until oh later on in my life when I got up to. Uh, that's probably well. I've got a job. I, I only, by the, I only got a tenth grade education, you know, and, and uh, I, I just uh, that's a, that's, a, that's another story. But then <laughs> another story right there. I better not. The old principal, or not the principal, the old uh, uh, biology teacher. He, I didn't. I wanted to play basketball, and he wouldn't let me. You know, he he coached the football team. He said. I like you play football. I said, no, I ain't going to get my brains knocked out playing football with nobody. So <laughs> I wouldn't play football, and he never he never passed me. Uh, oh, he never no. he, he never gave me a chance to play basketball. So, oh. so I quit school right then, and uh, I never went back to school more after that. But anyway, I, I just kept on doing what I, what I wanted to do, and I played the guitar until... Uh, went on. Went to got to Bluefield, West Virginia, and uh, I was. And I met a boy named Larry Richardson that played a played the banjo, you know. And he and I kind of teamed up, teamed up together. And he knew some people in uh, West Virginia, and I was about. Well, I was getting ready to go back into my. I just finished my sophomore year, and uh, but uh, he he knew a. Uh, a couple of guys in Welch, West Virginia, said, we could go, if your daddy lets you go before you start school, we'll, we'll go up there and play some and we'll be in a, in a full band, you know. And my dad, he said, yeah. He said, if you promise me you'll come back and go to school. I said, I said yeah, I will. So my, I had an old Regal guitar and I still got it too, by the oh, way. Oh, do you really? <laughs> oh, that's great, man. <laughs> yeah. I've still got it at the house and, uh, it said Regal right up the top of it on us, the little sign where the at the top of the neck of it up there, and it said Regal and made in Chicago. And, I, and so I, I still got that old guitar. I had a hole in the center of it, and I wanted to play electric guitar too when I tried to copy or listen to Ernest Stubb. And 
pouring it into bluegrass. I went and got me a big pickup and put it across that whole middle of it, <laughs> put me a pickup on it, and got my dad to buy me an amplifier. I, I, I picked an electric guitar, and I learned, in playing a guitar, I learned all them, them old fiddle tunes I'm, that people played on the fiddle. I learned them on a the guitar, you know. And uh, before I ever looked at a mandolin, so I had I, I picking all them tunes on, on the guitar. What What made you decide that you wanted to start playing mandolin? as kind of your main instrument? Well, it, it's, um, uh, I, I want to play a fiddle, you know, but you can't, it's hard to sing and play a fiddle. So, I mean, you just, it's, you got to do one or the other, and my singing meant more to me than the fiddle, and so I, I, uh, I knew about the mandolin, and I knew it was tuned like a fiddle, and, uh, uh, when I was in West Virginia, I, I, uh, had, we got a guy to come to, uh, play with us, you know, work with us. And uh, this boy that went, and I went to West Virginia, and he, he kind of quit, he quit, and he played a banjo, and he, and he left. And we got a, a guy to replace replace him. And um, it, it was so that, um, and, and, and a guy to play the guitar, and uh, there wasn't anything else made it. And I was familiar with a man, but that was about it, you know. Mm-hmm. So I had one laid under the bed that I that I had bought, and paid fifteen dollars for for a little, and I never even I just went and put it back under the bed because I didn't think I'd ever need that thing, you know. But <laughs> do, you remember, do you remember what brand it was? What kind of what kind of mandolin? Mm-hmm. Do you remember what kind? Oh yeah, it was a Gibson. It was a uh, one of my old A fifty Gibson mandolins. Oh nice. God knows what he knows what I'm talking about, yeah. you know. It, it was a it was a wide body, like a late thirties wide body. Yeah, and, and uh, I went and got that thing out of my bed. And never had even play, tried to play one, and I messed around and got to playing a tune with that. That was a whole band that we had there in Blissfield, West Virginia. So I kind of liked playing a mandolin because you could play them fiddle tunes on it. And where I've been, it's it's harder to play them on a the guitar than it is a mandolin. So <laughs> I, I got to playing. Stuff like that on it, and uh, I never—I don't know—I just got to like a mandolin, and the more I played it, the better I liked it. And it was easy to sing with. You know, you could play rhythm or take breaks, and or and sing too. You know, and so my singing got to be a bigger part of uh, me than mandolin playing or guitar playing or anything. So I got—I got stuck with the mandolin there, and uh, I. I'm, Still, still stuck with one. <laughs> yeah, lucky for us. Lucky for us, you got stuck with a mandolin. <laughs> now, did you did you play? You said you you served in the military. Did you did you play mandolin prior to serving in the military? I had an old uh, an old uh, an old mandolin that I took with me and to play. You know, and, and uh, uh, when they when of course when I went to the Marine Corps, I didn't know where I was going or nothing, but I took that mandolin with me and and um, I carried it along with me everywhere I went, you know. Uh, except, well, when I first went went in the Marines, I went uh, uh, went to California, San Diego, California, and I only stayed there uh, nine nine weeks and got a furlough and went home and and got a got a ten day leave and when I come back, why? Well, they sent me went straight to Korea. So um, I took that mandolin with me and 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 traveling around over there and them mud holes and all that right there. Why well, I, I never 
I, I never got back with it. I got it destroyed while I was over there. Oh, no. Yeah, and uh, so when I, when I got home, I, I got uh, I got me another and started playing it again. <laughs> started playing it again. <laughs> is, is it, if, if I remember correctly, Bobby, you saw the mandolin float away in a flood? Is that Exactly. Yeah, we yeah we was on the outpost one night and um, it started pouring the rain and we had some bunkers to get in in when you uh, if, if it did come a storm or or uh, we was fighting them uh, North Koreans in you know it's, it's not unless they took an ocean to take take their spot away from us while we we stayed in them bunkers you know but uh, it got the rain and pouring the rain and then it, they 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 uh they uh. Send a whole two battalions up there for just one platoon of weezy, and so we had uh, had to worry about that and getting getting out of that mess there. So uh, it hit. Uh, I had that old mandolin in a bunker, you know, and and uh, by the time the battle was over with, when I come back down there, and the, the bunker and the mandolin, everything had been blown apart. So I I lost it and never did get back. It was a kind of a special. Madeline, that uh, Scott knows exactly the kind that I, I had. It was, it's really a nice, uh, a nice Madeline. It was an old, old, old Gibson, but I wish I had it. It was a collector's item, and I didn't even know that. You know, but I got, I got it stored over there in Korea, and I never got to play one till I got back. Oh, got man. back and got out. So, There's photos of Bobby playing that Madeline. Did you ever record with it? Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Jimmy Martin and me did. Uh, we did some records on King King Records before mm-hmm. I went into the Marines. Oh wow! Did you really? Yeah, and I played it on those. Uh, I, 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 there was we did four sides for for uh, King Records before right before I went in the Marine Corps. No and, kidding. Uh, yeah, and I played it on those right there. They were iconic. Uh, Heavy hitter bluegrass songs, Bobby. Can you tell us what they were? Yeah, do you know the tunes that you played on? I wrote two or three of them, and my sister wrote mm-hmm. one, and we just we recorded them for King Records. And uh, uh, Jimmy Martin's brother was in the in the army, and he wrote one. And we we did uh, see. I think it's just a cute thing. Is the name of it, I believe. Oh, how I wish I could hug. She's not the kind you'd picture. Any. And uh, my sister wrote one or two that we did, and I wrote one. So it it turned out pretty good. It, uh, yep. Jimmy Martin sang the lead, and I sang the tenor, and Charlie Klein played the uh, he played the banjo and sang the third part. So there was a harmony that we had on them. And Charlie's brother, Curly Ray Klein, I guess you remember him. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. Uh, and he he played the fiddle on them, you know. And we they found a guy up there in Cincinnati played the bass on them. So they were they were pretty. Good, pretty good records for that matter, you know. But was one of the songs "Twenty Twenty Vision"? No, no, that was for later down the road when uh, okay. uh, my brother and and me and Jimmy Martin record, got together and recorded that. That was on uh, RCA Victor Records. That, that, that was twenty twenty vision and walking round by. 
Since she's gone and left me, I feel so alone. I carry a heart that is heavy as stone. I knew that she cheated on you all the time. Twenty twenty vision and walking round blind. Absolute classic song. That's that's just amazing. Uh, that's so. How did you meet? How did you meet Jimmy Martin? Uh, let's see. Uh, Bill came when I, when I was in Bluefield. Bill came up there and uh, and did a show at the State Theater, and we had a little radio program each day up there. It was sponsored by a food market. And uh, back in those days, if somebody from Opry played your town, they would uh, they'd come and do a song on your on their. If you had a show in the daytime, which we did, and uh, they would come and do a song on your show, which was kind of a good thing to do, because a lot of your listeners, you know, they would really appreciate hearing somebody like that that they probably uh, would have never had a chance to hear again, except on that little radio program that we had. So. Uh, Bill did a song on it that day, and he played the State Theater that night, and that's how. And before, when uh, before Bill, Larry Richardson and me, we, we lived right around the corner from the radio station anyway. So we we went up to the station a little early, and uh, Jimmy Martin and and uh, Rudy Lyles, and uh, anyway, Bill had his full band there, and he sang quartet on on that show, and. I went to see him that night at the State Theater, and uh, and uh, he played. Uh, did, he did that one show and and that one song up there on our show, and Jimmy Martin played the guitar with him then. And Jim broke a string, a second string on his guitar, and I happened to have one, and I gave him a string, and he and I got acquainted that way. Wow. Later on, then like, uh, later on when he left left Bill Monroe. And the boy Larry Richardson left the group that I was with, the Lonesome Pine Peddlers, and we needed somebody to sing with me, and we needed a banjo player. So we got uh, 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 Jimmy Martin had just left Bill Monroe, and I met him there when he came up there with Bill. So I called him, and and he said he just got on a bus and came straight to Bluefield started and started to uh, work with the Lonesome Pine Fiddlers. And uh, Larry Richardson, he he stayed a little while after that, but he he moved on, and we, we got another boy. Uh, Curly Ray's brother, Charlie, played a uh, man or a manager with us for a while. We had that band together until I had to go to the Marine Corps. And, uh, well, Jim and Martin and me went to, and Curly Ray Klein and Charlie, we went to King Records. That was Cincinnati during that time and did those four songs I was telling you about there a while ago for King Records. We went up there and did those. Uh, Jim and me kind of got to be partners in a, in a band and went to uh, Bristol, Tennessee, on that show down there called Farming Fun Time on WCYB Bristol. And we we went there and got on there with, uh, and uh, we named the, named the group Sunny Mountain Boys. How long were you there for? Yeah, we was there for... Uh, a couple of months and started working some road shows out on the road, you know. From uh, WCYB was a ten thousand watt station, and it covered that whole part of the country down through there. So we 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 started working some shows out, and it was uh, 
I don't know. Uh, Jim probably was not uh, too happy with that or something. I don't know what it was. And he just, uh, he quit. He just up and quit and walked off. Well, I took the van over then and uh, Carter and Ralph, in fact, uh, Ralph had a bad car wreck back then. And he had, had uh, they, uh, and then uh, Carter worked with Monroe while Ralph was in the hospital, you know. So when Ralph got out, they came back to Bristol and so they told me down there that they said, well, we're going to hire the Stanley Brothers back, so we don't, uh, we're going to have to let you go. I said, oh. well, so I knew I, I wasn't going to be there long anyway because I, I'd already got my call to, to be, uh, be examined for uh, the uh, service and military anyway. So uh, they didn't, Carter and Ralph, you know, Pee Wee Lambert had left them at that time, and uh, uh, they just asked me, why you can't, can, why don't you just play the work with us? We got, you know, so uh, um, I worked with Stanley Brothers for, for a couple of months before I went to the Marines. <laughs> <laughs> it, oh. is, it is so cool to hear, like, just these stories, you know, like, just the legends that that all this have become, the, uh, it, like yourself included. And it's just like, oh, and then I just played with the Stanley Brothers for a while, <laughs> you know, and it's just... <laughs> Well, I, I don't know. I, I kind of get, uh, I don't get tired of telling anybody about him, you know, but I'm proud of what I've done down through the years. But I don't know. I, I just don't want everybody to think I'm a big blowhard that did everything. Uh, just got to do everything and, and ended up doing nothing, you know. But uh, I don't know. It's just, uh, I've just always, uh, and I, 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 my plans were on work when I got out of the Marine Corps to go right back with uh, Carter and Ralph because I love to sing. I love to sing with them and play, play with them. I like them as as people and everything. And uh, but uh, by the time I got to see, I had to stay two years. And every time I got back, why uh, my brother Sonny he had learned how to play the banjo by then. So uh, <laughs> I told him, I said, hey, "Ain't no use us going for it. We just start fresh again, you know." So that's what. That's what we did. We just became Osmond brothers, and we, and we we ended up working with Jimmy Martin for a while there, you know. But that didn't that didn't pan out too good. So we finally just went to went to work with, uh, and we run into Red Red Allen to sing with us, you know, and play the guitar. And boy, we, that's where we got that harmony from. It's been sung in Red Allen, but got that harmony that we've known for right today. That's where we got it from him, and we got to make a few records, you know, and and uh, finally Red left and quit, and so uh, that's when uh, that's when the Osborne brothers started. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> what, what mandolin were you playing once you got back from the service and started playing again professionally? Oh, oh, well, I, I had. Uh, I had a boy. I, I, I made a bad trade right there. I, think, oh. but <laughs> I, I went to play the mandolin, and 
This guy come by with an F-12 Pips and Manly. It was a new one. It was about a 1948 model, and it was practically brand new. And I needed a mandolin worse than I needed a guitar, and my dad had bought me a, a, a Herringbone V28 Martin guitar. Oh, man. <laughs> I played it while while I was playing a guitar, but uh, I, I needed a mandolin. So, and I didn't know the value of them back then, you know, like I do now, but uh, I, traded, I, I traded that guitar to that mandolin. And I've been about sick of it ever since, you know, but still, yet I, I, I got a good man on everything. So, well, yeah, you know. I mean, you know, I think it worked out in hindsight, but yeah, that one, I would imagine having the uh, D28 herringbone would be kind of miss that. <laughs> who who knew, though, then, right? Who knew that that would be such a, uh, such a, you know, uh, such a monumental instrument, too? Yeah, I, I got, I um, I just got hooked to playing a mandolin. Well, I, I I kept that F twelve a long time, and I thought, oh, I thought I had the best mandolin in the country out there, you know. And go out and F twelve Gibson, it wasn't it wasn't an old one, but it was a it was a new one. And back then, if you had a new instrument, good lord, does nobody had a new one? A new one back then, they had one beat all to pieces, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> I played that in there for <laughs> I played that uh, that man in there for a while and my brother and me went to uh, we we went to um uh, uh, went to Knoxville, Tennessee. And there's a man down there, Kaz Walker, he had a eleven grocery stores supermarkets and he covered that eastern east east Tennessee and we got a job with him, he had radio programs and all like that going. So we we uh we went down there and worked with him quite a while. And while I was there, I'd, I'd heard of the Bailey brothers, and Charlie and Danny Bailey. I'd heard about them. They just had a real uh, super duet of singing together. And uh, while we were there, we were was in the radio station. They had a, had a what they call a dinner bell show. It was at 12 or 1 o'clock, you know, and he had a lot of people that was uh, working for him you know, on the, uh, doing radio programs and, and uh, to advertise those 11 supermarkets that he had, you know. So uh, I'm in the studio playing there, and Charlie came into the studio, and he had this mandolin with him. Of course, I'm, you know, I had a good mandolin, I thought. I mean, an F-12 wasn't the worst one that was ever put out there, but uh, he had uh, this, the mandolin I got right now. He uh, he had this mandolin there, and I don't know how come he'd come up there to that studio that day, but he was from Knoxville, and he he came up there to the radio station that day. And the first time I ever met him or even seen seen the mandolin that he had, but I heard uh, he had that mandolin up there with him, and we went in the little studio there, and I, I picked it up and played it. And my, I mean, he was... It was so much different than what my F-12 was. You know, I just, in the 20 minutes I got a chance to hold it, I fell in love with it right there. You know. <laughs> uh, and I, he lived there, and when that radio program was over with, uh, I asked him, could I go down there to his house and, and play it some? And he said, he let me do that. He, I, I went, to, <laughs> went to his house there in Knoxville and sat and played that man all evening, you know. 
and so uh, the firm that we got right now, you know, yeah, he's he's the guy I had. So, uh, and I tried to buy it, and which I mean, I didn't have no money to buy it with anyway. But not, uh, I, I was going to try to buy it some way or the other. But uh, I just uh, I, that was a melon that I when I first heard it, I thought to myself, oh, I, got, I just I'd like to have that melon. So uh, we just uh, time went on and. Uh, a year, about a year passed, and Sonny and me was, had got a deal in Detroit. We was, was in Detroit, Michigan. And uh, I always gave, gave uh, my dad my phone number in case anything happened while we was going away out of town or something. My dad called me one day, and he was in Detroit, and he said, there's some guy in Pennsylvania that's trying to get in touch with you. and said, here's his phone number. And I didn't know nobody in Pennsylvania, so I just... <laughs> You know, I just I just put the number down there. I, I, it laid there for a while. I thought, I said, man, I might ought to call that. I don't know who it is, but I might ought to call that number. And I called that number, and it was the man that owned that mantle, Charlie Bailey. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm going to sell that mantle. He said, uh, Bill Renault wants to, wants to buy it from him, but he said, uh, he's got to go, and he don't need one. He said, you need one. So uh, I, I said, well, how much you want for it? He said, I want $400 for it. And uh, I said, I ain't got $400. And he said, well, that's what I need to get for it. So more I thought, I, I, I told him, I said, I've got 350 but I ain't got 400 And uh, so I had this uh, I had this other man, this other Gibson man, I still had it. And he said, well, he said, I'll tell you what I'll do. He said, I'll, I'll take 200 and your mantling. I said, that suits me. I said, I'll, we'll do that. So I went down to the store and got me a big box and come back and pack that mantling up and was getting ready to send it to him. And he said, well, I just can't hardly do that right now. He said, uh, I, I need the money more than I do another mantling. I said, well, I told you how much money I had. I said, I've got 350 I said, if you take that for it, I'll, I'll send it send it to you. And he said, I believe I'll do it that way. And so I went right straight to the post office and mailed him $350. And, and he went to the post office where he is at. And, and in about three days, that panel guy from the post office said, hey, you got a package up here. Boy, I couldn't wait to get to that post office to get that panel. <laughs> and I got up here in the, in the case of it. Had a good case, the original case, but it didn't have. A, it had a cover over it, an old blue cover. And I remember when I the first time I ever looked at it, that old blue cover was tore on it. Was it was tore right across the top of it. And you know, it had a big rib place in it. And I looked at it, and the postman he said, "And three hundred and fifty dollars back in them days, compared to now, was it was it was nothing hardly, you know." And so. Uh, or was a lot. I'm sure it was about 350 bucks. If you had 350 bucks in your pocket back then, man, you was uh, you didn't have to take nothing out of nobody. You know, so. <laughs> Heck, you got 350 bucks in your pocket now, it's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> he said, postman. He says, and I, 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 um, I hadn't paid him yet. And he said, what's supposed to be in that old case there? He, he didn't know it was a case or what it was, but. I said, there's supposed to be a mantling in there. And he said, how do you know it's there? I said, I don't. And it's going to cost me $350 to find out, you know. And 
He said, I'll tell you what. He said, uh, let's, let's go back in, in the back. He said, I, I've never seen a mammoth. I'd like to see one. He says, we'll open it up and see it. If it's there and what you want, well, we'll send him his money, and you, and you get to keep your keep your mantle. I said, well, so he opened that case, and it was still in that cover. And I looked at that, and I said, well, that's the same cover. I said, that thing was tore the last time I saw it. It's been a year, you know. So uh, I opened that mantle, and, of course, it had been, you know, uh, a mantle was made in, in uh, 1926 until it was like, Fifty-four when I when I got it, so it was it, it had been played a little bit, you know. So anyway, that postman looked at it. He had a few few scars on it here, and he said, "You gonna pay three hundred fifty dollars for that thing?" He said, "No, it's brand new." And I said, "No, that's 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 made a long time ago." He says, "Man, he said I that's I don't understand you paying three hundred fifty dollars for that." And I said, "It ain't it ain't what it looks like." I said, I said it's what's going to come out. What it comes, what comes out of it is important. So he says, "Well, okay." He said, "That's if that's what you want to do." So, oh, he says, "Well, I never heard of a man." He says, "Play me something more." So I, I got it out there. And I, I played him a tune right there in the back of the porch office. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I took that man the whole man. I opened it up and I started playing it. And I thought myself, "You got to be the luckiest guy in the world. Find something a year ago and thought you'd never see it again." And, and here you got it in your you got it in your hands right now. That's so cool. And the more I played it, why the more I liked it. And and it's it. Uh, when I go to bed at night, it, it sits right beside of me in a case right now. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's such an amazing story. That might be one of my favorite mandolin acquisition stories I've ever heard. Well, the records it's on. And here's a thought: all the people who've heard that mandolin since. Well, since at least 54, all the Opry performances, all the shows, all the ears, you know, I mean, it's just, yeah. it's, just I mean, it's just incredible to think about. It's a piece of history. It's a yeah. piece of musical history. Well, yeah. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, uh, I got it, I got it in 19, uh, 1954. I, I, that's when I bought it. And from then till now, I've been playing that mountain 65 years. That's what, that's what it amounts to. <laughs> pretty good investment. <laughs> pretty good investment. Just listening back and editing this right now, I'm just smiling like crazy because it's such a great time talking with Bobby. And we're going to leave it there. And we're going to talk about his playing and, and all that stuff as we get into the next segment next week. But what an excellent episode. And seriously, that story about how he, how he got that mandolin and, and him at the post office with the postmaster is so cool. I want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, have yourselves a fantastic week. And we'll get back with part two next week. Cheers, everybody. Cheers, everybody.